0: Welcome to the HC Insider podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host Paul Chapman today we return to hydrogen with our previous guest Eric Raku. Eric recorded this in February prior to starting his new role at Boston Consulting Group as an associate director focusing on the energy transition and hydrogen. Eric and co-editor Rosa Puentes, Have just released a free to read book called Touching Hydrogen Futures. The book is a fictional account set in the year 2040, where various experts and authors focus on what the hydrogen economy might look like in various countries, based on technological developments today and policies supporting the hydrogen economy. We discuss the latest developments in hydrogen, the ongoing debate about its role in the energy transition, and discuss. A number of the chapters in the book. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please do leave a positive review on the platform you're listening on. And I know this episode will cause a lot of comment, so please join in and thanks for listening. Eric, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Paul. Really nice to be here. So, once again, we're talking hydrogen, and this time we're talking about your new book with fellow co authors. Touching Hydrogen Future, a tour around the globe, a Jules Verne-like projection into the future about where the various countries around the world will be with their hydrogen economies. Uh, I know this episode might come with a trigger warning to some, but before we dig into how you see the hydrogen economies play out across various nations, depending on how well they're endowed with renewable power sources, etc., can you just give us an overview of kind of how you came to put this book together and and its nature.
1: I love traveling. I love writing. Um, I actually did promise to write a book about hydrogen on LinkedIn last summer. There was really, till autumn, there was actually a little inspiration. I was doing some interviews occasionally. And then I had this conversation with one of the CEOs of our leading European utility. And she said to me, I'm really worried, Eric. I'm really worried we don't have enough people for energy transition. We have all these hydrogen plants, we have the electrification plants, but think of the millions of people you actually need to make that energy transition, the scale, not just the financial investment or the policy side, just the people side. That put me to thinking, as I'm particularly last two years busy with projects in management consulting in hydrogen that she really had a point, and I thought, how to draw these people in. I got in touch with my fellow co-editor, Rosa Puentes. She said, let's write this book together that will be accessible, educational, and can draw people globally in. And we did a trial on LinkedIn, just wrote a, f- a few chapters on Spain and Netherlands. It got really good, but also quite angry reactions. And that actually set us on this path. We thought, yes, we are onto something that draws attention, debate, gives people a feel. What's the future should be? How does it feel? Accessible language, but still grounded in reality with all the proper research and footnotes that it's, let's say business fiction, but plausible. And that's how we started assembling a group of writers. Now we ended up with a book with 28 writers. 27 sections. One of the sections has been written by father and a son, the one on the UK. So that's why uh, the number of sections and authors doesn't match. And we're getting really good feedback. So we have now over 1,800 downloads in over 90 countries globally. And uh, I'm pleased to say United Kingdom and United States (laughs) lead the download. After that, closely followed with Countries like India, Spain, Netherlands, Germany. Fantastic. And we'll provide links to the book because it is free to
0: download. Uh, It's an online book. I've obviously read it myself. Before we dig into, I think we've selected four countries as kind of archetypal demonstrations of the nature of the book, but also where the technology could take us in hydrogen. Um, It's been a year since we had you on the show. It feels like a lot has happened within that year with regards to hydrogen. Any post on LinkedIn on hydrogen gets lots of likes, lots of comments, as you say, both negative and positive. And there's a real debate in the industry, in the community about it. And obviously, hydrogen itself is a very big topic. You know, it's not when we have to be very specific about our definitions about what type of hydrogen we're talking about in terms of production. What has changed in the last year, both from policies as well as
1: technologies that is advancing the hydrogen world. Right. Before you go to policy and technology, maybe just to for me to zoom out a bit about this buzz about hydrogen, I think what didn't change but actually increased is perhaps the word I would use, is the buzz. The buzz over hydrogen is amazing. Investors calling, wanting to learn about it. Boards who want workshops, governments, that want to know what role can they play. I've myself been part of developing a few uh, government strategies, some of them not even public yet. What has actually perhaps not changed, but grown is the bust and the willingness of people to consider it. So why is that, right? So if you kind of just zoom out, it is because hydrogen is actually a very good second best solution. I would always argue there is very often there is a first best solution. So it's energy efficiency, it's uh, electrification with green energy, but sometimes those options don't work. And then very often, hydrogen is second best. And if you look to where hydrogen is second best, is it can be second best in heating. If you look in the old stock housing, it can be second best in manufacturing for high temperature, also think of uh, steel in particular, with change of DRI process. Think of transportation, long-haul trucks, when charging time does matter and when current battery solutions, at least, are just way too voluminous and way too heavy. Think of shipping and aviation. Think of power generation, where you have already hydrogen and then using it, perhaps for peak hours, is not that unsoughtful. Or think of current solutions like fertilizer and refinery, replacing that gray hydrogen so the fossil made hydrogen with low carbon hydrogen so hydrogen being second best is perhaps what's i think has grown as an understanding because particularly where i see why the bus is continuing because there is more and more awareness their best solutions be it electric- direct electrification be it energy efficiency will not by themselves deliver the net zero. Yep. So I
0: would agree with you there. Okay, so so you've got this at least growing awareness, both at governmental levels at society levels, that it has a role to play or belief that it does. Have there been any? I mean, where are we at technology wise? I mean, specifically around say electrolyzers. You know, have there been new developments there?
1: Let's look at the technologies, basically. Your question, sure. So there, I think let's just go along the value chain, right? So let's start with production. So if we think about production, where are we at? Particularly green ice, making hydrogen with green energy, splitting water with electrolyzers. Electrolyzer companies, and each day I'm always (laughs) uh, not surprised to read some governments considering to found another state champion. There is uh, three sorts that I'm at least watching how they're developing. It's alkaline, it is PEM electrolyzers, and it is the solid oxide. And there are some interesting companies around those. And um, I think in the old days, you know, I could count them on one hand. Now, I, I can no longer count them on two hands. So I think it's really interesting. Also, one thing that maybe not many people know is European Union uh, run, for example, a competition to make, uh, sort of say, the best pilots of uh, hydrogen projects and invited the electrolyzer companies to submit bids. I know that sixteen parties have submitted bids for that, and maybe we can provide a link to that event in the podcast note, but that just signifies that it's just not just a handful of players coming in, but it is more and more growing play field where competition will drive the costs down and the solutions and I don't think there is one solution better as you know we've recently heard some let's say players in Pem space, you know, arguing that their solutions are best and some players in alkaline space saying we're the best and the solid oxide players. No, I think we, we actually need all of that. In fact, if the market will grow as fast as IEA or IRENA, numbers would predict that it would become 10%, 12% of primary energy mix by 2050. We are actually short of electrolyzer factories.
0: Yeah, and just so I understand is the major emphasis on electrolysis of water, or are we still
1: talking new technologies around methane? I think also there are a couple of interesting scale ups. I'm trying to avoid mention names of companies here that are also looking at the breaking down natural gas, but also into um, hydrogen under heightened temperature pyrolysis. If through that and and that color of hydrogen is sometimes called turquoise hydrogen. Through that process, and there are multiple approaches to this development, that could be quite a game changer if that scales up. And I think we, we see a couple of countries investing in and in, in looking at that technology. Uh, German government is sponding, uh, sponsoring a few initiatives in this direction. Russia is looking at that. There are American players and Canadian players, what I am aware of, looking at this. So that could be also quite a game changer because suddenly we, we no longer then would have to store CO2, but we would actually have black carbon that we would need to pile somewhere. So turquoise hydrogen is where you're completely
0: removing, capturing the carbon from the methane molecule, basically.
1: That's what's being asserted. I think always, and that goes for any hydrogen, I'm actually for colorless hydrogen, but the one with the least carbon intensity and ideally zero carbon. I think if we move towards the colorless but rather, you know, carbon counting, auditing of hydrogen production process. That's where we want to go. And if we move there, then I think there, again, because we're if the demand is going to grow as we see now, we're going to need all those means of production at least in the coming decade. So that means green hydrogen. That means turquoise. That means blue hydrogen, where you capture CO two. And there could be even perhaps pink hydrogen where we use uh, nuclear energy to power electrolyzers. So I think we should be getting away from color debate. And one of our authors with whom I agree, so Anne-Sophie Corbeau in the chapter on the United States, also goes for the colorless approach. And I'm seconding her on there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's
0: come back to that discussion at the
1: end. Maybe to go back because, so this was the supply side, right? So let's also, if we are kind of going through the value chain, let's also think, okay, you made the hydrogen to the customers. So transport and storage is often a bit omitted because of all the attention going to the electrolyzers or to the other means of hydrogen production. I think it's absolutely crucial if we want to start combining use case that countries look into how hydrogen gets transported between the so-called clusters or valleys or hubs of where use cases are concentrated. If we can develop a traded market through that, that's going to have tremendous value. And I think there are some really good developments countries like United Kingdom and Netherlands looking at how to create a transportation network for hydrogen. Sometimes it' also looking at purposing the existing natural gas grid. Also starting to develop, salt cabin-based storage. Because if once you're developing hydrogen systems, you're also very quickly starting to need storage. And that is also something we need to grow. We just now have, let's say, can count global salt cavern storages hydrogen on a hand, and, and we need many more. So yeah. also other storage solutions, that's where development is happening. and I think that's where it's really interesting to watch also for investors. And then going to the use cases, There is developments as well on
0: that transportation and storage side so historically hydrogen has kind of moved within the fence of a refinery right very short distances has there been any technological breakthroughs development on being able to transport hydrogen over longer distances how we can convert uh, the existing natural gas network to hydrogen is that where where are we at on that side
1: as you mention it i guess it's So transporting hydrogen uh, through pipes is not necessarily new. It's new to do it on a global scale. So companies like Air Products, Linder, they have very long experience of doing that. Some of them own their own private networks in thousands of kilometers. That in itself is not new. I I guess the combination of complex value chain, that is the new part. So suddenly we're having traditional use cases, like you mentioned, refining, fertilized industry being combined let's say with heavy truck transportation with a build-up in power generation with potentially in the future domestic heating and i know you know by saying that i will trigger some frowns because obviously electric perhaps is the best solution again but sometimes maybe hydrogen is the second best so combining the use cases is that's perhaps what's new and also, what the transportation industry needs to discover. How to manage that flexibility? When will the demand come? How do you manage that? And I think that's where the novelty is. So novelty is probably in, rather in the management of systems than in the actual transportation. I hope this helps your question. Yes. Yes. So we've gone through the supply side. We've gone through transportation and storage. Let's go to use cases, right? So if we think about the use cases, I mean, every day somebody sends me a link to something new. So that, that that's something I'm really loving. So, for example, let's go a bit in an order. So on the heating side, uh, what I find really interesting, you know, hearing stories where, let's say, homes are constructed, where companies, energy utilities are testing how it is actually to have hydrogen being used in domestic environment. And United States, for example, has projects to this end, Netherlands, UK. Germany. I am aware of examples, and I'm sure there are more, just I'm not aware of them because there is such a massive amount of information. Thinking of transportation, talking to, for example, trucks, And every, again, every month I'm hearing of a startup in this area. Hydrogen truck companies, also the ones looking in at retrofits, there is a lot of interesting development in there, right? And they're driven just again by the fact that it looks like we cannot electrify everything. So we need to start looking at what can we do with hydrogen there. And they have clients, so it looks like it's really working. So that's, I think, also a really interesting area. Also hydrogen refueling station, because they'll be needed if you're going to go in that direction. Power generation. I mean, talking to turbine manufacturers, there are some very good roadmaps which show that we will have large-scale turbines for power generation ready, by definitely by 2030. So... Also, with the recent taxonomy debate, at least in Europe, it basically gas-fired generation is being forced to be somehow net zero ready if they invest now, and I think this will force bring forward the issue of power generation and hydrogen in some ways. At least, let's say constructing natural gas-fired power plants which are hydrogen ready. So, those are just fewer examples where technology is moving ahead on the use case side. That's the emphasis of the book, right? Is to sort of
0: transporters 20 years in the future 2040 here's how the future energy economy looks based on developments today and the the nascent policies today let's dig into it Um, let's just go to australia where i think it has one of the sort of the richest views of all of these use cases you know from uh uh, steel in wayala from you know, there's there's a hydrogen plane in there. There's there's off, there's hydrogen production. Can you um, give us the the view from Australia and and I think that'll be really
1: instructive just to sort of hear it all at work. Sure. So we're going to talk about Australia, Russia, Romania, UAE. All those countries, to me, have in common that they are right now perhaps known a bit, quite a bit, as fossil-oriented economies, right? And I think it's really hopeful and very inspiring that transition can happen if we kind of read the science. We also can see that all the authors in this case chose the 2040s, so about 20 years away as a as an outlook, but grounded in things we already see on PowerPoint today, is projects. And what, what it does allow, and then if we go to Australia, to see that if you have vast land, because that's what you really need. You need to put somewhere renewables. You have natural resource in terms of nature. And you have IP, how to produce hydrogen technology. Those are really the two ingredients you need to be part of this economy. So you no no longer need luck in terms of having oil and gas under your ground or not. You just need land and if you don't have it if we that's another country in the book like denmark you can build an energy island why not and i think that kind of is the key advantage of the book where we break open the mind from just looking at present and showing based on what we know today about science what can be done in by 20 years time so in australia which is the sixth largest country the world with you know very low population densities, so very little NIMBY chances. Right now they get 40% revenues roughly from iron, ore, coal, LNG. And what that chapter really well shows by going literally in a clock around the country: Queensland, Victoria, Tasmania, New South Wales, etc., it shows that each of those right now very fossil-driven economies in about 20 years can change to use hydrogen as one of the energy vectors and what i'm also thinking really interesting is it shows that jobs can transfer from now earning the revenues with fossil-based industries to the clean hydrogen-based industries and i think that that's what really showing and obviously yes we discuss some use cases as we go along be it trucks, be it aviation, yeah, being steel production. So yes, there is a very good story there for Australia. I I can, after reading that story, both enjoyable just because it's easily accessibly written, but also look seeing through the eyes of the writer, you can see that Australia has a good chance of from being pushed, let's say, as you know, the worst kid in the class, as sometimes in the history it was. To being the pusher of green economy, that would be amazing. Yeah,
0: we don't have time to go into all of the various use cases mentioned there, e-methanol and, and so forth. Notably absent was fuel cell EVs. Is that a? Um, do you think that as a use case, we you know, the world has for a whole variety of reasons, efficiency, efficacy, the kind of the average commuter car that will become a, a battery EV? probably won't be
1: the realm of hydrogen in the future yeah first of all do have countries that are still open to um, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles i would say korea and japan are still very much in it with their formal plans in the book in fact indeed yes it's not in australia but actually in um in my own chapter on um Netherlands, which is one of the opening chapters of the book, I have a dialogue with Tesla driver, and it's based on a true discussion. Uh, to be open, it was not a te- Tesla driver, but was an uh, EV investor. We had a bit of a debate on, you know, about hydrogen and EV tra- uh, cars, and I think, to cut long story short, yes, based on current information, absolutely, right? Because there are probably three. Arguments for fuel cell cars failing, right? So, first, it's a monumental task to basically get rid of the gray hydrogen, which we have now, or as some authors on LinkedIn call it, black hydrogen. And basically, that needs to be green first. So, you need all the hydrogen for that solution. You cannot waste it on, on cars. So, that's argument number one. Argument number two, you basically lose some stuff in efficiency, right? So, why would you want to pay? for that if you have electric access if you have electric access i agree fine but then we come back basically to do you have that and then the third reason is again you know there are probably others who are willing to pay more more hard to abate sectors which need hydrogen more badly frankly it all comes down to can we electrify all the transport and is there enough affordable hydrogen for cars and I think if we look, you know, 10, 20 years into the future, those things can change. We could have enough hydrogen because of the trucks. We could have enough refueling stations. And if we don't manage to electrify everything and we may have problems with electric grids or want to diversify, then I think there is a case for, for hydrogen cars, particularly perhaps if they're heavy use, like taxis, like with these already in Paris or in Denmark. So I would say it's not a totally lost case for hydrogen cars. Well, thank you. I think that was a a very clear view and
0: answer. Okay, so Russia, which is the next country we're covering again, one of 27, what struck me about the Russia piece was A, the utter transformation of the Russian economy towards hydrogen, as you say, moving from ultimately being a fossil fuel producer to a hydrogen producer. And a lot of that based on Policies put in place today, and proprietary technology is being developed, as I understand it. Today is—is is that a fair statement? Can you talk about what's going on in Russia and their eyes on the hydrogen economy?
1: Yes, and I think Russia is really worth reading. As we obviously go to to um, the live audience, uh, there is always some yeah, political controversies around countries, but in this book, we try to look. You know, what has the country in a positive scenario, to give, And in a positive scenario, I was really surprised to read, actually realize how much natural potential, potential Russia has, particularly around the Sakhalin region, where vast tides change and, you know, cube, many, many cubic kilometers of water are displaced. And if you can harness that energy, in the old days, you Couldn't get it to a market in a market in a future where Korea and Japan are importing uh, hydrogen, be it in uh, after efficiency conversions as green ammonia or be it as ready made methanol or be it as actually directly liquid hydrogen. And assuming that you don't mind energy losses, because otherwise you would have not used that energy anyway you're suddenly able to imagine a market where something that before was not harnessed, the power of the, in this case, of Sakhalin tides, is transferred into green energy, and that's then moved, well, relatively regionally, exported to the Asian markets. That was really eye-opening to me, that hydrogen could open up some new possibilities for Russia. Second thing that I thought was really interesting reading Russian chapter and also working together with the author, she's director of Energy Center, Skolkovo, so yeah, quite knowledgeable, was that there is possibly quite a bit of intellectual property that we now typically find particularly developed, I guess, countries like South Korea, perhaps Germany, perhaps US, uh, United Kingdom. We could see in the future uh, Russian scientists developing some of the IP as well. And uh, that could be quite an upside, I guess, for them in terms of being able to benefit from the hydrogen economy. In fact, perhaps there is a larger learning in this. Any country in the world, if you have land or can create land and you have IP, can take part in this hydrogen economy. And I think that provides energy security, which is really a scarce good these days. Yes. So the next country is Romania. Why did you select Romania?
0: I mean, again, it's endowed with these great renewable energy sources. What was it about Romania that, you know, because it's not really a country that figures currently on the map of of energy resources, what is it that made you pick that story?
1: I think it really, uh, again, one of those surprises, right? Because right now Romania, unfortunately, is more often in the news for its uh, stories about misgovernance at least in the past, and hopefully this is changing. If one were just to look again at the, what does its nature has to give, combined with the intellectual capital of the people, there is a lot of smart people with education in, in Romania, given the right steps, it can be quite energy-leader, let's say in 20 years' time, with the right governance for hydrogen. And I think what's very helpful for Europe that would be a very local source of hydrogen production, and, um, and obviously it would develop its own hydrogen industry as a, as a vector to help its net zero targets, but it would also help neighboring countries producing some of the green hydrogen for the neighbors in Europe. So there is like a nine steps, if you wish, that one very nicely describes in this section of Romania, the also Lavinia Tanasa. She's herself from Romania and a gas expert. And these nine steps, address legality, address funding, address infrastructure, look at where you place the clusters, work on reducing the cost of green hydrogen, be colorblind, think about combining hydrogen with other vectors, think about the jobs and just transition, and lastly, Pick a sector where you as a country can help to launch the hydrogen economy. In case of Romania, perhaps this is public transport. So those nine steps are very nicely described. And I would almost say very worth reading, even to a country size of India. And why I mentioned that, it looks like uh, that's one of the top four countries of which are downloading our book. And I was wondering why, and maybe because they're still, let's say, thinking on how to roll out hydrogen. And, and there are other countries like this as well. So maybe where it doesn't yet have a hydrogen strategy, worth reading the Romanian section. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because there's there's
0: almost a reset quality this is, to this as well, right? Um, there are certain advantages that are prevalent in the hydrogen economy that aren't necessarily the same as in the fossil fuel economy where you might have some great offshore oil reserves but very little land space you know thinking of countries in northwestern europe so there is an opportunity for societies for countries to to they can forward plan enough to to really change and alter their their direction and, and trajectories in some sense
1: absolutely it's a great reset. I like that uh, quote from you, uh, Paul. Yes, oh, it's, it's
0: yours. It's yours for free. <laughs> okay, so let's go to the UAE, which is kind of the other way in some senses. Is a bit, you know, the old economy rearing its head with with OPEC, the the organisation of hydrogen exporting countries, and uh, the world of politics coming back into into play and, and energy cartels. I did enjoy the story. There's some great little vignettes of the. Uh, the hydrogen planes and so forth, but could you just what what did that story specifically talk to to you about the future hydrogen economy and, and perhaps some warnings?
1: Yes, well, that story is almost you you could argue a bit of an exception to the rest of the book because here we actually do enter territory of geopolitics, and um, we worked together with the boss of the story, Robin Mills. He's been a p- published writer. And when he came with this idea, I was, to be honest, I was first skeptical. Then I read the draft and I, I realized this is really good because we do need to kind of warn about the dark side of the developing economy as well. And, um, and it actually, once we already, you already know, been writing this section as well, IRENA came out with its geopolitical uh, reports where perhaps in a more serious language, similar warnings were given. That depending on how hydrogen economy will develop, some countries will win, others will lose. So it's worth watching how this develops. So in this same sense, as as we were having an oil cartel right now, it is possible that someday some countries will try to gather a hydrogen cartel. Do I believe this is a very likely scenario? I don't believe myself reason I don't believe in this is that if you have land or you can create land like Denmark with energy islands, if you have the intellectual property, if the climate change is so that we still keep the sun and we still keep the wind or we have access to hydro, then you can make hydrogen. So it's pretty impossible to corner that market and to become this, let's say, to have Swinging marginal producers. Now, will there be big players? For sure. As it looks now, and also listed some examples in this section Australia, Chile, even Namibia, some names we didn't yet think about as future energy powers. But yes, they could be big players. Will they unite in a hydrogen OPEC like organization? I don't think they will be able to corner the market even if they wanted to in 20 years because of the democratic nature of hydrogen economy and that's in fact one of its good selling reasons to go for it gives you energy security yeah so putting this all together just i mean that's
0: more for my understanding one of the big challenges with hydrogen at least you know on the colour scale anything outside of green is still using fossil fuel is still ultimately will be even in the process of extracting that fossil fuel producing co2 that's adding to the terrestrial car, you know co2 in the in the atmosphere on the planet and have causing a problem right do you see that the, the story of hydrogen is one of ultimately everything transitioning to a pure green hydrogen in the future or will we still have in 20 years the, and, and the book, to some extent, answers this. You still have hydrogen being created from methane from fossil fuels.
1: there is an answer i 'd like to believe, and the one I think is more plausible. so the one i 'd like to believe is that we would have we would be only using green hydrogen if i'm looking to how things are unfolding now uh demand versus supply, I think we will we, there is still a chance we will be also using uh, hydrogen uh, with with some carbon in it, which will need to be offset, be it with carbon capture, with negative uh, measures like planting forests, simply by penalizing it and then using that money, again, to work on R&D to make sure we do use only green hydrogen. So the answer I'd like to believe is yes, we will move to total total zero carbon uh, solution in 20 years' time. What I see from projects, use cases, there is probably still going to be some non-zero carbon hydrogen. So what can we do about it? What should we be doing about it? We should penalize carbon in uh, also like we are planning to do. So any energy mix and products, I think initiatives like Europe is undergoing with carbon border adjustment where carbon would be taxed in in certain products if they cross the border into europe i think those initiatives will help us more generally to make sure that there are economic incentives to move towards as zero carbon as possible types of energy including cleaner hydrogen yeah i guess that route where all the different types of
0: hydrogen are into the mix to make that create the supply is A way of building a hydrogen economy that that then can, over time, move towards green hydrogen. I know we should, you know, you don't like the colours, with that uh, incentive or tax system in
1: place. Yes, towards, and let me coin that word: zero carbon hydrogen. So yes, we should move towards zero carbon hydrogen. And uh, if that is perhaps in your language called green hydrogen, I think there are next to it. Let's zoom out. there, There are probably four areas me there are probably four big questions if we are to move to this beautiful world and and different chapters in the book address it right so the four questions to me are can hydrogen be really economically competitive to its alternatives Who will finance the hydrogen boom and how what role should government play as question number three and fourthly how will the hydrogen market develop will we see regional plays or will we see a truly global marketplace and perhaps the last question is also quite interesting for you. You know, with all the talents, will we have, you know, kind of regional specialists or will we, similar to LNG, so the liquid natural gas trade right now, see, let's say, global trading specialists? And I think those four questions, competitiveness, financing, government role, and development of hydrogen market, regional or global, those are still in the play And and I think some stories in the book give a flavour, and uh, some are still unanswered. There is probably more books to be written. Yes, can you the story
0: that you know that debate, as you say, is still in play, and you've you know the efficiency aspect is probably to some extent overwrought in the sense that existing fuels aren't very efficient, converting joules and so forth. It is the debate seems to be very much around efficacy which presumably is a technological solution is one of those things you can throw you can throw money at the other one is the obviously the continuation of fossil fuels being prevalent in our society <laughs> i think as you say we're talking relatively short time periods here even if it is just 20 years in the future we're always all surprised about how long some of these technologies take to get to take hold right and, and i think humans uh, naturally overestimate the rapidity of change. You know, when you look at uh, Back to the Future movie, you know, what the year 2000 would look like, right? (laughs) It's a big miss. But that aside, I'd like to understand your rationale for moving to colorless
1: hydrogen. I think the very logical result of, let's say, looking out, zooming out broader, is we are working towards net zero towards decarbonization of global economy. We don't want just to focus on hydrogen as the only solution. So what we want to focus on, that solutions that we are bringing as part of primary energy mix, zero carbon. Like we're when we're looking at the electrification of cars right now, we would like that you know coal stations and fossil stations wouldn't be used when we charge our cars. So we would like to pay attention that we are contributing to zero carbon there. When we look at flying, we would like to fly zero carbon. And perhaps e-fuels, biofuels will play a role there. Similarly, when we think about hydrogen, we should zoom out and just think about our goal. And our goal is zero carbon. So I think by just playing that color, green, blue, we are kind of helping to stay too low on the map in terms of granularity. We need to zoom out on our strategy map and focus on what is our objective. Objective is zero carbon. So once we zoom out, I think we'll be more technology neutral in terms of solutions. We should be doing the same in my way in electrification. I think it's very important to think, how can we make sure that our cars not just randomly charged, for example, if we do electric, because right now there is a lot of coal and fossil still on the grid, but that we can actually decide which minutes we charge, that those minutes are green. And I think, yeah, that that type of thinking, thinking about decarbonization as ultimate objective, that's where my suggestion for colorless hydrogen is grounded. Yes, and I, and I think as well, I mean,
0: we, you know, to some extent... I find this, what's so fascinating about the energy transition to me is that we ultimately know where we have to end up. Uh, we just don't know which of the pathways or the combination of pathways we're going to take. And therein lies a lot of opportunity, a lot of risk, but certainly the need for a lot of debate and a lot of um, experimentation. in all those things that we need to do, right? We need, we need to create multiple scientific revolutions to get there. And so, you know, ultimately, I think it's a great thing that there's so many different channels are being focused on and and the hard work is going into to to see
1: which ones are going to be viable in the long term. Absolutely. I think opening the minds to what the future can be is extremely important. Otherwise, we just basically take a fixed view of the future. And then before you know it, we're kind of back to the world where we still just kind of only assume the world is just our Earth and it's flat. The last section in the book, uh, one of the authors even says, who knows, by now we're interplanetary species, as uh, some of the famous uh, human space explorers are working towards. Then hydrogen is, frankly, so much simpler in terms of zero carbon hydrogen and making sure it can be... A vector with some of the technological development we already see. So, if we can imagine we can be interplanetary species, I think for sure we can actually manage a bit of hydrogen revolution as well. Great. Well, where can people find the book? What's the plans for the book going forward? So, we are have a website where there is in various formats you can download, free to download, no cost. The book. It is EuropeanGasMarket.eu. We are also Sometimes giving interviews, we have some articles uh, we've been approached about. So you may also find uh, some of the discussion about the book online. We are now also working to make sure that we get some sponsors to print the book. We've already been approached by a few, and our aim, ideally, is that each library of a university in the world should have one copy of the book. And uh, we had somebody already asking the other day if they could print. 2,000 of our books, for example, to give to conference as a as a gift of entry. And, and we are considering this with this particular organization, but we are very much open to other ideas, how we can make sure that through uh, sponsoring, the book can be in each library of a university in the world. And this way, helping to have the debate. We don't have the veto, hydrogen being the, the solution. In fact, the book argues it is vector it is worth considering but it's definitely part of a broader set of
0: toolkits fantastic well we'll put a link to the website in the podcast notes i've really enjoyed the discussion always an absolute authority and speak with great clarity on the subject i really enjoy that and look forward to having you on in a year's time
1: or so and uh, and see where we are then absolutely fantastic Paul. invitation accepted and uh, thank you for today.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offerings as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.